Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. The first reading from the Bible is Luke chapter 7, verses 20 to 23, and it's on page 1035 in the Church Bible. Luke chapter 7, beginning at verse 20. When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, illnesses and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. And the second uh, reading from the Bible is Luke chapter 17 verses 20 to 33, and it's on page 1051 of the Church Bible. That's Luke chapter 17, beginning at verse 20. Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, Here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Then he said to his disciples, the time is coming when you, when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. People will tell you, there he is, or here he is. Do not go running after them, for the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot, People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding corn together. One will be taken and the other left. Where, Lord, they asked. He replied, where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. Thanks be to God.
Good morning, everyone. Gordon, thank you for reading for us. We're in the middle of a summer series working our way through a section in Luke's Gospel, uh, chapters 17 to 19, and I think you'll find it a great help if you keep your Bibles open at that second reading from Luke 17. It's page 1051 in the Church Bibles. Let me pray for us as we look at God's Word together. Father, we know that your Son will return, but we don't know when. And I pray that you would help us now to have a right urgency to let your word shape our lives that we might be ready whenever he comes. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A few weeks ago, we were down in Cornwall, and for some reason, the surf was just massive for the whole week. The waves were like buses rolling in onto the beach. In fact, it was so powerful that they closed the beach for a couple of days. The red flags were out. We couldn't go in. Towards the end of the week, the waves calmed down. It it was safe to go back into the water. And when I did venture back in again, even still, the waves were so powerful, you could feel them knocking you over. You couldn't stand firm in the surf. And I tell you that not to reinforce the view amongst some on the staff team that I always mention my holidays when I preach, although point taken, Um, But rather, that that is not a bad picture for how it often feels trying to be a Christian in the world today. Our reading from Luke 17 is all about the return of Jesus. He will come back. It will be the defining moment in history. And yet, in the world we live in today, most people are living in a way which compares completely denies the reality of that moment. And it's hard being the odd one out, being a Christian, standing firm when everyone else around us is living differently. Pathfinders, it's great having you with us this morning. I wonder, have you felt this? Maybe you're the only Christian in your class at school. For others of us, perhaps we are the only Christian in the office or in our family or in our streets, the neighbors all around us, have no time whatsoever for the thought that Jesus might return. And it's hard to keep living for that day when no one else is. And it's even harder for us as Christians because we cannot see Jesus, we cannot see his kingdom, and we have no idea when he might come back. It could happen this afternoon before England play Germany in the football, or it could happen in 10,000 years' time. We have no idea. And so look at what Jesus says in verse 22 of our reading. Luke 17, verse 22. The time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. Jesus is warning us this morning that it will be hard waiting for his return. We will long for it, but we won't see it. We'll long for it because we live in a hostile world where most people seem to not care about his return, and that's tough. We will long to see it because this world is broken. It's full of hassle and suffering, and we want the world to be put right. Standing firm as a Christian in this world is like standing in a powerful surf. We get knocked around, it's hard to stay firm, 
Jesus knows that. And so our reading this morning is here to help us to stand firm until Christ does come back. If we're new to Christian things, I'm so glad you've joined us this morning. I hope these words from Luke 17 will help to show you why the return of Jesus is the defining moment in history and why we need to be ready for it. So let's dive in. How can we stand firm? If you're taking notes, I've got two points. The first is this. The king is rejected for now. The king is rejected for now. This section kicks off in verse 20 with a question from the Pharisees about when the kingdom of God would come. This was a bit of a hot potato question back in Jesus' day. The Old Testament contains various promises about how God would send a special king, his Messiah, to put the world to rights and to restore his people. And so it's not surprising that the Pharisees are asking this question, but almost certainly they are using the question to try to attack Jesus. Imagine a football manager who is tasked with taking over a struggling club and turning it around. Three years later, the club is still at the bottom of the league. They're still losing every week they play. And so three years later, a reporter asks the manager, so, you've been our manager for three years. When are we going to see the results improve? An attacking question. And I think that's the tone here in verse 20. Jesus has been claiming he is that longed-for king, the Messiah. And the Pharisees are utterly unconvinced. And so they're basically saying to Jesus, Jesus, if you really are the king to come, where is your kingdom? When are we going to see it? Where's your army? Where's your palace? Where's your throne? Where's the flags? Where's the overthrow of the Roman Empire? When will the good times come, Jesus? But look at how he responds, verse 20. The coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say, here it is, or or, there it is. The Pharisees are looking for the wrong kind of kingdom. You cannot type kingdom of God into satnav and and go there. There are no boundaries. There's no national flag. And yet it is real, very real. Jesus continues, end of verse 21. Because the kingdom of God is in your midst. What does he mean? Well, I think the context helps us. If you were here last week, we watched that encounter between Jesus and ten lepers. And he healed them. And when lepers start getting healed, we're meant to sit up and take notice. Because in the Old Testament... One of the signs that God's kingdom was coming, that his king was around, was when sick people started being healed miraculously. Taking notes uh, later on, why not go and look at Isaiah 35 as one example of this longing in the Old Testament. And in our first reading from Luke 7, John the Baptist asks Jesus 
is, is he the one to come? Is he the king? And Jesus responds, don't turn to it, but we heard the reading. He says this, go back and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed. In other words, John, yes, Jesus absolutely is the Messiah of the Old Testament. He's doing all the things the Messiah would do when he comes. I wonder if any of you have seen the new Top Gun film. I wasn't planning to go and watch a sequel that no one could be bothered to make for 36 years. But a couple of my friends said that it was really good, that I should go and I went and begrudgingly watched one of the trailers online. And actually, watching the trailer, I was really impressed by the three-minute little insight of the film. And so based on the trailer, I went and watched the main film. And actually, personally, I thought it was brilliant. You can tell me afterwards if you think the sequel was better than the original. But the point is, just as a trailer gives you a taste for what the main film is like, so the miracles of Jesus are like a trailer, a preview for the fullness of the kingdom of God. <laughs> the Pharisees are standing before Jesus. They are standing in the presence of the king. The very one who is bringing in God's kingdom. But they cannot see it. They are blind to the signs of the kingdom. They've just seen the lepers healed. They don't understand what's happening. And so they reject the king. The same rejection is alive and well today. The gospel accounts of Jesus contain eyewitness accounts of the miracles of Jesus. God's king has walked on the earth. In history, he has healed lepers. The blind have received their sight. The deaf ears have been opened. The dead have been brought back to life through his power. But today, as people read the accounts of what he has done, they often see little of Jesus. They are unconvinced and they miss the kingdom he is bringing in. The king is rejected for now. But a day is coming when Jesus will return and what a day it will be. Look at verse 24. For the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. I remember one winter years ago um, out sledging on a local hill near my parents' house. We were having lots of fun in the snow just messing around and we didn't look up and realize and see these massive dark black clouds rolling in. And then suddenly the sky was just filled with pink. This blinding flash of lightning, rolling thunder. We think the radio mast at the top of the hill where we were sledging was, was hit by the lightning. It's one of those moments where you, you stop what you're doing and you just cower down in the snow. And when the king returns, it will be like lightning blazing across the sky, no one is going to miss that moment. There will be no doubt then about who the king is. But that's a future moment. It hasn't come yet. In the meantime, verse 25, 
But first, he, that is Jesus, must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. As Jesus teaches his his disciples, and as we also are taught by him this morning, it's so important that we have the right expectations as Christians. The king has come once. The miracles show us who he is. The king will come again. And we live in between his two comings. In a moment in history marked by a rejection of the king. And for Christians here this morning, it's hard following a king who's been rejected. It often feels as Christians that we are on the wrong side of history. That we are out of date, out of touch. It's hard being the only Christian in our class, in our office, on our street. It is like trying to stand firm, pounded by a strong surf. And so Jesus warns us that we will long to see him coming. We will long for that confirmation of who he is. But for now, we live in between the comings. We live in a moment when the world rejects the king. And we need to be ready as as his followers to experience that kind of rejection as well. Being the odd ones out. And I think that's why he warns them not to go running after false claims about his return. They're so desperate, the disciples, to see Jesus that they'll, they'll too quickly believe people who say that he's come back. Verse 23. We need to stand firm because when he comes, there'll be no doubt whatsoever. And for us today, as we seek to stand firm, I think there's great help here because Jesus has given us the trailer, the preview of what his kingdom is like. And it's wonderful. He's been healing people. He's been comforting those who are suffering and in sadness. He's been raising dead people. He's been restoring the broken. They are trailers of what his kingdom will be like when he comes back in his fullness. And if it feels like an awfully hard task now, standing firm against the buffeting of a hostile world, then be confident that when Christ returns and we see the fullness of his kingdom, it'll be a world beyond sorrow and suffering, beyond sickness and disease, beyond death itself, because he is the king and he will do it. The king is rejected for now. That's our first point. But next... The king will return to judge. He will return to judge. We we cannot see Jesus now. It's hard to imagine what the moment will be like when he does come back. Yes, it will be blinding lightning across the sky, but what will it be like? Well, to help us, Jesus takes us back to two moments in history that help us to have a sense for what that future moment will be like. Two illustrations of his coming judgment. I want to pick out three things about what his judgment will be like. The first is it will be disruptive. It will be disruptive. Verse 26. 
Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. You can just imagine this scene, can't you? This strange man building a large boat in his back garden, which, by the way, is a completely landlocked back garden. And across the fence over here, in the lovely summer sunshine, a bunch of neighbors, they've got a barbecue on, a few drinks flowing, enjoying the good times, fellowship, fun, living in the moment while the hammering takes place next door. Or verse 28. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. And suddenly, into both those moments in history, God's judgment came and brought huge disruption. The everyday stuff of normal life came crashing to a halt. And it will be the same when Christ returns in the future. Someone will be on their way home from the estate agent, having just picked up the keys to their forever home. Over here, the concrete will still be drying on the foundations of the extension. Someone else will have just sold their business for a huge profit, and now they have enough money to retire in comfort. Another person will have just passed their exams and they've got the results they need to go to their dream university. Everywhere, people will be making plans, getting on with life, zoomed in on the here and now. And then Jesus will return. All the plans, the projects we are involved in will suddenly come crashing to a halt. I wonder if the first lockdown in the pandemic back in 2020 gives us just a glimpse into what that moment might be like. Do you remember in March 2020 when suddenly life just ground to a halt? Suddenly the schools were closed. Suddenly we were all working from home. Suddenly we couldn't go out apart from once a day. Massive restrictions overnight. Unthinkable in many ways before the pandemic came. But just a glimpse, perhaps, of a far more definite and final disruption when Jesus returns. The king will return to judge. It will be disruptive. The second thing we learn about his judgments is it will be destructive. Verse 27. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. Verse 29. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It'll be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. I think it was the preacher D.L. Moody who once said, Our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at something that doesn't really matter. There are people all around us who are incredibly successful in the things of this life. Getting top grades, making lots of money, advancing up the career ladder. People in S10 drive fancy cars and go on luxury holidays. 
Houses have curb appeal. People outside the area aspire to move into the area. In the eyes of the world, a hugely successful place. And please don't mishear me. I'm not saying that it's wrong to have a nice house or wrong to go on a nice holiday. But can we see that the return of Jesus must change the worth that we attach to these things? I wish we had more time to explore the example of Lot. You might know how Lot left his family and the people of God and he went to live in the pagan wicked city. He's a a case study of how close you can get to being worldly without quite fully walking away from God's people. Like the kid on the school trip who always tries to glow his close to the cliff as possible rather than keeping well back. It's a sobering case study. Lot himself does just escape the judgment. But verse 32, remember Lot's wife. She looked back at the city they just left, a city under God's judgment. And she wanted to go back You see, the human heart is such that we can become so in love with the temporary things of this world that even when the moment of judgment comes and we realize that these worldly things are being destroyed, even then we can want to go back to them. And so for all of us this morning, and I absolutely include myself in this, we would do well to examine our hearts. Are we living in such a way that demonstrates a clear understanding that the material things of this world, the things that so many around us prize, these things are passing away. They are facing destruction. And I also wonder what example our lives gives to the people around us. Did you notice how Lot's decision to move into the wicked city impacted his wife. If we flirt with worldly living, there can be huge impact on the people around us who we love. The application is there for us in verse 31. Jesus couldn't be clearer. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life will preserve it. People in the world around us today They are busy trying to keep their life now in the present by chasing after worldly things, the money, the houses, the the fleeting pleasures of, of food and drink, making good things into ultimate things that capture their hearts and loyalties. But this way of living will lead to ultimate loss. When Christ returns, he will bring a judgment that is destructive. The experience of the people in the days of Noah and of Lot show us that. And the only way to truly preserve our lives for eternity is to lose them now. In the context, I think Jesus means that to lose our life would mean to follow a rejected king, to be willing to be known as one of his when the world rejects him. That feels like loss. 
being on the margins of society. That'll be costly and difficult. And I think also holding the things of this life lightly, not living for them. The judgment of Jesus will be disruptive, it'll be destructive, and finally, it'll be decisive. Verse 34. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. This is a picture of incredible intimacy and unity. Two people in one bed. But when Jesus returns, there will be a decisive separation. The same point is made with the two women grinding grain. Maybe they're business partners, co-workers together, sharing their lives. But again, one taken, one left. And where they are taken becomes clear in the final verse. This is incredibly sobering. It's, it's hard to preach on. Just as circling vultures give away the location of a dead body, so it will be evident for all to see what has happened to those who've been taken away to face judgment. Over the years, I know some of my friends have told me that if Jesus does indeed return, and they don't think he will, they tell me that they will be able to talk their way into the kingdom. A bit of quick thinking, a, a, a bit of blagging, and they will be okay. But it won't be like that. When Jesus comes to judge, it'll be decisive, final, a moment of separation. Which means now is the moment of opportunity. Now is the chance to acknowledge Jesus as our king. If we wait until then, it'll be too late. This is a hard sermon to preach. It is a hard word to hear. But let's remember that Jesus spoke these words as he sets his face to Jerusalem. And at Jerusalem, he knows that will be a place of tremendous suffering for him and death. He is a king who is willing to die for people like me and for people like you, people who have wandering hearts that have latched on to the things of this world and who have quickly denied our king. That's why he came. He knows that we need his help. If we are new to Christian things, I would urge you to come and think about the Lord Jesus and his death on the cross. You see, he was an innocent man, and yet as he died, he died bearing the sins of the world. He took God's judgment onto himself for that sin. And he did it so that when Christ comes again to judge the world, those who trust in him need not fear that judgment. It's already fallen on Jesus. If we put our trust in him, we need not fear that day. In fact, we can long for it. And if we are a Christian this morning, if you're anything like me, you'll know that you massively mess up. <laughs> you find your hearts very quickly wandering after worldly things. That in the office, in the school, in the neighborhood, we deny Jesus. We're too embarrassed. Be assured that when we come back to Jesus, he forgives. 
he welcomes us. That's why he died. Well, look, being a Christian today can feel hard, like standing against a strong surf. But I hope we've seen today that following Jesus is worth it. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus, for his willingness to die that we might live. And Father, please would you help us to be a people who set our hope, our dream for the future onto him. Father, please help us to stand firm when the world around us rejects Jesus and rejects us as well. Please help us to believe that one day when he comes back, the world will be put to rights. That it'll be a day of wholeness and of life forevermore. And we pray this in his name. Amen.